Welcome to the We Go There podcast. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... Exactly. We go there. Because no topic should be too taboo, especially when it comes to women's health. We ask the questions you may be too afraid to ask and interview the experts to get the answers you need. So we're doing this completely unfiltered. 100%. Okay, let's go there. All right, today we are going to have an incredible interview with the one and only Manira Houdani. She is a pre and postpartum physiotherapist, and she specializes in helping people with diastasis recti, diastasis recti, tomato, tomato. It doesn't matter how you say it. We're going to talk about it today. And there's so much confusion. And I know this, obviously, from the work that I do in, in the fitness world, but Manira is so amazing at disseminating this information and making it easy to understand. So she's presented at so many conferences. She teaches courses on diastasis rectus abdominis for professionals. And her mission is to really help with spreading awareness around the world and providing information that's easy to understand, up-to-date, and evidence-based. So Manira, I know you from real life when you used to live in Toronto. You're now in Alberta, but it's so good to see your face again. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much for having me. It uh, It's really an honor to be here. We need to dive right in because there's so much to talk about. And Lexi and I are eagerly like sitting here like, okay, let's go. Let's I'm so excited it. to learn. I'm just, I'm <laughs> going to learn so much. I can't wait. <laughs> oh my gosh. There's so much to talk about. We were talking before we started recording. We're like, where do we want to even take this conversation? So I think we should probably start to talk a little bit about I mean, something that I really like, the number one question I have is this whole idea of this pendulum. So for a quick context, back in 2014, I launched my very first diastasis rectus abdominis rehab programs online. Can't believe it's been that long, but it's been a while. And I remember that, you know, it was a lot of like, oh, you can't do that. And you can't do that. And you can't do forward flexion and crunches the devil and planks are a no-no. And it was a lot about what you can and cannot do. It was the world of safe versus unsafe movements. And now we have sort of moved, the pendulum has moved to, it doesn't matter what you do. What matters is how you do it and when in your rehab you do it. And I believe in that, but my question for you, and this is a very long-winded question, Manera, I apologize, <laughs> but like, at what point have we swung too far? And I don't know if there, if you think we have, but like, there's been a course correction between the fear-mongering, like we don't want that anymore, but now people often, I find, are like, well, okay, great, I can do anything. I can do Russian twists. I can do boat pose. I can do all these things, but like, should I? Right, right. I think that really is right now the million dollar question has have things swung too far. Um, You've already explained kind of like that historical background, like we used to do this and now we're doing something else. So that I think is a great sort of preface into where we're at now, where it would if you go online and you are reading some things it might appear to some people that that's where we're at, where you can do anything. You've got diastasis, don't worry, you can do anything. Um, it's all about strengthening, you know, everything is good, nothing is bad. And um, that sort of needs to come with a little bit of fine print at the bottom. Because 
mainly what we're talking about is how things have changed and mainly how that's manifesting now is this sense of, I guess, empowerment. Like most of that intention behind the messages is let's empower people to begin strengthening because that's really what can create the change in the tissues. It stimulates those adaptive processes in the body that happen when you strengthen. So it's more towards that. But of course, when you're hearing, you can do anything, everything's good for you. There are no bad exercises. Then A, it can make you kind of feel like, wait a second, I've been living in fear. So now what? How do I just like, how do you actually go and proceed now knowing that everything is potentially good for you? And we'll go into that fine print as well. But if you're thinking, well, I'm reading this is everything is good for me. So but I, I was literally last night reading how I shouldn't. So now what do I do? I'm still in a lot of fear. So it leads to that. Um, And it also without clear direction, on where is someone in their journey without knowing where someone is, learning that you can do any kind of exercise you want might actually be inappropriate. So you could have someone that's just recovering from birth, you know, maybe they've just been given their six weeks green light clearance check and in my opinion, would it be okay for that person to just jump the gun and do anything they used to do before they were pregnant or in pregnancy? I would say no, in that there is a period of restoration, there is a period of time where I believe it's important to take to connect with your core, to rebuild some of that foundation, to find that sense of where where is my core again and what does it do? How does it work? And how do I incorporate that into day to day movements? And But I think what we have done previously is we have just spent way too much time there. And in that period of time, it may have been appropriate to say something like, well, right now it's about trying to find some muscles and establish some control over them and, and not so much really loading those muscles at this point in time because it's a different phase. You're at a different place in that journey. But we have moved past that. So the wonderful thing is we've gone from here are the things that you should be doing, which are very gentle, very light, very connection style, awareness based exercises to let's build muscles. But what we should say also in all of those, I guess, posts that people are reading is those exercises are appropriate for after one has gone through those initial kind of gentle activation style exercises. So the goals are very different depending on where you're at. And what I'm sure you experience and what I experience a lot, Nikki, is that we just see people who have been stuck there for too long and have been working on the exercises that are supposedly safe um, and don't really push the limits too far. And, and again, they may have been appropriate for an earlier part of that journey. But now what that does is in, in, in doing that for too long, it actually leads to a plateau, kind of a, a halt in any kind of progress. You may see some changes over time. And then it just kind of stops, like you're not making any further change. And so in going further into strength building mode, we know just from basic exercise science from the rest of the body, that when we start progressively adding load to muscles and tissues, that's when we can give them the stimulus that they need 
to change within themselves, to grow, to adapt, to become stronger, resilient, to become thicker, so to hypertrophy. And so when we're talking about strengthening now, that means that really anything can be used as a form of strengthening, as a means of strengthening, as a means of stimulation, so long as it's appropriate to the person and what they can handle at that time. Meaning like, is it, are they doing something that's still too heavy for them or is it still too light for them? So we're trying to find the right amount of challenge to really tap into the body's ability to adapt and get stronger. And that's the Goldilocks zone, right? Like it's like the porridge is too hot. The porridge is too cold. Like the exercise is too much. The exercise is too easy. And that can be very challenging for people to figure out. And that's where I think as a professional, right, it's our job to sort of help them figure that out. But really like fun story right before we hopped on this recording, um, I was in my DMs because <laughs> I get a lot of them. And uh, and someone was like, I think you need to help this person. And she sent me like a, like a video someone had posted. This person has about 900,000 followers, just had a baby and was like doing, showing like her postpartum like mom and baby workout and was like going to town with like crunches behind her head. Like baby is like, I'm going to say like eight to 12 weeks old. And, and it's just like, there's still you know, a lot of the misinformation going out there. It's like, and this is one of my probably pet peeves. It's like anyone who's an influencer who has a baby all of a sudden becomes an expert in postpartum exercise. And I I can't like, it's like, I can't even like I put my attention to it because it's like nails on a chalkboard. It drives me, it's a little too much distracting, I guess. But I guess we need to figure out like, yes, you mentioned Manira that people can get stuck in toe taps and leg slides but they can also be doing, you know, the crunches and thinking that that's going to be, and it's crunches aren't inherently wrong. It's just, that's not your starting place, right? You don't start with crunches. You're nodding your head. (laughs) Well, yeah. And I'm nodding my head because what we are seeing right now is, um, essentially standpoints from different perspectives and all of that is just in our faces so we we may we may be seeing um people who like you said have had a baby have had some familiarity with exercise and so this is what they're going to do post postpartum and then that's being displayed to potentially millions of people. But then we also have others who have uh, kind of worked in the field and have sort of had, have been on this wave of this pendulum swinging have, have been on that swing and, you know, are changing what they are putting out there as well. So unfortunately right now we do have a lot for, for that reason, we have a lot of conflicting messages and information and, and really I think, what we can possibly do to help that situation is just more of us who do have maybe a deeper understanding of, of where we're at with diastasis, just more of us continue to put some of that updated knowledge and information out there so that maybe eventually that outweighs the, the information that isn't quite up, up to date. You're so diplomatic. I love it. Oh my God. I have so many questions. Lexi, before I completely hijack this conversation, is there anything you want to jump <laughs> Well, into? I think what I want to know, because we're talking a lot about 
postpartum, right? We've had the baby and then getting back into your workout regime and jumping back into it versus I'm hearing it's, you know, building back up and then getting into it. But what about then during pregnancy? Is that still, is that the same discussion that's being had? Is it still conflicting? Because in both of my pregnancies, I'd like immediately, as soon as I saw coning, which I know we'll talk about, I was like, oh, got to stop doing that. And I love working out and want to incorporate it into pregnancy. And I constantly was so worried about what I'm doing and what I'm not doing to try and avoid, um, you know, diastasis and, and uh, in knowing that my history is I've had three hernias. So, okay. Yeah. 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 So you may like, that's a very important point there is that you've had three hernias, um, but I guess in pregnancy, it is important to make the distinction that during pregnancy, the abdominal wall is under stretch. As you continue to sort of progress through the pregnancy, the stretching will become even more and more pronounced. So we are sort of different. Um, we are sort of in a different um having a different set of circumstances in pregnancy compared to postpartum where that stretching prolonged sustained 24 seven stretching is no longer present. And so in, in the time when it is present, the way I approach pregnancy is we, we do want to minimize additional stretch and strain. So when there is doming in pregnancy, I do recommend whoever I'm working with to try the exercise in a way where it's where there is no doming, whether that's through engaging um, in a different way or doing the exercise differently or doing an easier version of it. I definitely think that we don't want to provoke it any more in pregnancy because it's already kind of at its end limit and, you know, continuing to go beyond those limits as the months progress. Um, so I think we're, we're dealing with yeah, two different situations, pregnancy versus postpartum. But that being said, in pregnancy, I think one of the best things we can do right now is maintain the strength of the abdominal wall muscles and try to keep them as strong as possible in a manner that doesn't provoke it. So again, minimizing doming, but also being able to like it, not to say that you can't do any that no exercise is bad, but I think if we're trying to minimize full stretching beyond what is already happening, so being in the hands and knees position, if you're not able to really pull up the abdomen and really bring the baby up towards you, it's just too hard, too difficult, muscles may be too weak for some people, I don't know if that would be the best position for them because gravity is going to pull things down further. But in that position, there are so many people who actually find just pulling up the abdomen super easy. Maybe they've been doing this for a long time. Maybe their muscles are already strong and able to do something like that. So it's just avoiding full stretching while maintaining as best as possible the strength of those muscles because really there's a lot of load being placed on them from the inside. And so we want to keep them strong for the rest of the pregnancy. So we want to hug that baby, Lex. Hug it. Hug, hug baby. the baby. Hug and baby. do the bell method. That's <laughs> what I'm hearing. I'm just here. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> but it's true, right? Like people are like, but I can do plank. I can do plank. And I'm like, right. just because you can doesn't mean you should. Like, right. why do we have to have an ego about this? Yeah, you can hold plank and it doesn't hurt your back. And that's awesome. But you're putting so much unnecessary strain on your tissue and your connective tissue and your fascia and your abdominal wall. It's like, 
that's not going to help you recover faster postpartum. Right. Right. I mean, if if they can pull up, if everything can be kept upwards and it's not right. And it's not really hanging down. They have control over that. I think that's, they can do it, but there are some people that can't. And I would advise them to maybe work towards that potentially at the wall, a modified plan, make their way down over time. If, if it makes sense for them. I think honestly, I think about 97% of students after the third trimester can't do it properly beyond like 30 seconds. <laughs> I've seen Nikki do it. It's very impressive. You hug that baby like it's your job. But like a full plank, to hold a full plank and like hold it. We're talking like a static hold. After like once you're like showing quite a bit and that yeah. baby starts, it's very challenging to do. Oh, yeah. Well, that just shows how strong you were and how, <laughs> how much strength you had. So like, that's something I think we can all kind of work towards. I like that. I like that we're, we're talking and, and I, I love hearing you explain it because we all have different ways of explaining similar concepts. So I think yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So what would you say you would like, cause you're involved in the research with it, which I think is super cool. Um, and, and one of the things I have noticed in this realm of diastasis recti is that we're always saying, oh, yes, but we need more research. Oh, yes, but we need more. It's like constant. It's like the answer to all questions. Well, we just don't have the research. So my question to you now would be, where in your perfect world would you like to see the research go right now? Yeah. Well, just to clarify, I'm not actually in research, although I kind (laughs) of read it as if it's like my hobby. But um, yeah, so in terms of the research, where I would like to see it go is really getting more studies backing the idea of abdominal wall strengthening postpartum. Um, Most of the literature, at least at this point, is mainly talking, mm, I mean, there is a shift. You can kind of sense it happening. The terminology and the way it's being conceptualized is different, especially in research, so that's happening. But definitely there are still um, premises around not doing too much and protecting the linea alba and avoiding excessive strain and and really like that sort of fear mindset around it. That's still prevalent too. But what I would like to see is just um, what we usually do for, you know, strengthening um, research exercise physiology kind of research for all the rest of the body, I would like to see all of that apply to the abdominal wall in the postpartum population. So we can at least have good studies that show that when people go through a progressive strengthening, progressive loading program for a long enough period of time that they end up seeing changes to the abdominal musculature, the way the abdomen looks, so the appearance of it, and they end up seeing a change in the linea alba as well. So we need the two to be linked together more in research. I, I love that. And I, I think one of the things, and you know, my mentor is Sinead, Dr. Sinead DeFore, we talk a lot about also the physiology. So what's going on in the tissue? Are you in an inflamed state? What's your cortisol right. level, the biopsychosocial stuff? Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? Like in terms of, and people who are like, what, what did she just say? Biopsychosocial, but just this whole concept of, you know, you can give two people who have a basic, similar baseline of diastasis, same ten, tension and gap. And why is it that one of them gets results and one of them doesn't? Amazing. So, yeah. So that, that also exactly points to um, the potential genetic differences within all of our individual bodies, genetic makeup of our muscles and our tissues, the collagen 
contribution and percentages that we have, the types of collagen and, and all of that. Um, and so another step backwards or not backwards, another step sort of looking from the bird's eye view, if we're looking at the whole person, then we have to definitely consider environmental factors that could also lead to internal changes, physiological changes. So feelings of stress and anxiety and um, just difficult emotional um, situations and just emotional management and how that kind of stress can impact the body, even if it's just subtle, but that accumulated day to day over day, that could definitely play a role in the just the internal environment in which we're trying to make change. So all of those, those muscles when, you know, you may have done your exercises for the day and then you go to sleep and we'll talk about sleep, but like you'll go to sleep and that's when a lot of this stuff is going in on in the body. It's trying to repair itself. But if internally it doesn't have the optimal environment for even that to occur because there's a lot of inflammation, um, it, it could really impair or slow down that process mm -hmm. and make it difficult for someone to see changes. So, yes, I think we need to definitely advocate for the strengthening piece of it, as well as for just addressing like the lifestyle issues as well. So the um, just managing stress, getting enough sleep as much as possible in the postpartum period. Like I think it, it may be unrealistic for a lot of people to even think about getting a full night's sleep and and rather than sort of feeling like, well, I'm doomed, it's a, it's a matter of trying to get sleep when you can and when it's there to see if you can make it the most the best quality that you can make it. And also managing the energy and fatigue levels during the day as well. So just kind of maybe compensating for that a little bit later on in the day but it's yeah it, it is what we're trying to do is prime the body give it as much as we can in what it needs so that it can potentially get the changes and, and create those changes from the inside I love that we we actually I think this is Lex don't you think a good segue to talk about the emotional impact Yes. of diastasis recti? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, like you were mentioning right before this on things that you wish people talked about more as it links to diastasis. So can you speak to that and, and the emotional impact that it weighs on people? Yeah, yeah. That is, a, that is a piece that is not being talked about enough, I think. And, you know, at least in the world of physiotherapy, we have not been used to or accustomed to helping people with um, an issue of physical appearance, a dis dissatisfaction in physical appearance. We're usually used to talking about pain and, you know, impairments around someone's ankle injury or knee issue and which don't really impact someone's let's say, appearance and how they feel about themselves, at least, and how they express themselves outwards. But when it comes to the abdomen, the core, it's front-facing. It's the front of our body. And the changes that some can see postpartum can really impact how they see themselves. And that is then reflected on in every area of their life. So that could be reflected in if you're not feeling good when you're looking at yourself in the mirror, 
Well, then, A, you're probably just going to make sure there are no lights on or you're just going to avoid looking at yourself in the mirror every time you, you pass by one. So there's kind of this element of shame that could be there, shame, maybe disgust or just dissatisfaction. So that's turning against yourself when you're seeing yourself. And so that that then transfers into, well, okay, I'm going to go into my closet um, and what am I going to wear today? Oh, that doesn't fit me anymore or that doesn't look good anymore. Oh, I, nothing here looks good on me. I've got this event that I have to go to. I'm just going to cancel. I'm not going to go. So a lot of people actually start stop accepting invitations to social events um, because they don't have anything that they can wear, that they feel good in. They don't want to be asked are you still pregnant? Oh, are you, are you due? When are you due? I didn't know you were pregnant. So they don't want to be asked these things. So they often will just avoid it. It also can transfer into intimacy. If you are really feeling a certain way about how, you know, how you look and your appearance, well, for sure, that'll, that'll impact how sexy you feel. And, you know, that could impact the, your relationship as well. You may not, you know, your partner will probably say, oh, you're beautiful regardless, you know, in, and, you know, I love you. I love you. You are always beautiful to me. But it, it really is about how, how the person themselves are feeling, not what, you know, it, it's certainly helpful to have that supportive um, partner. But if you're not feeling like, you look good or you you're and you're not feeling sexy well that will certainly affect how you know it'll affect your libido it'll affect what you decide to do in bed your um your willingness to explore and expand so it can affect that but also you know the emotional piece of well there's an identity there that sometimes is lost like i it, which is wrapped into again, like how you present yourself in the world. So there's often a, a change in in you know what people just decide to wear. They, they almost will just feel like nothing works for my, this body anymore, and so whatever, I'm just going to wear like you know loose baggy clothes. And and now you're kind of showing up as a different person. And and that so these little changes, you know, can in all areas of someone's life can really just change the person's life in general. So and it, it all just stems from you know, the, it, it just stems from the, the idea of, I, I don't look the way I, I want to look. And that it's not really isolated to the abdomen. But of course, in this discussion, it is, but there, there's that whole piece to it that I think is usually the reason why people are seeking out help. Um, it's, it's not always I feel weak, I want to get stronger. It's most often I want to change the way I look. I think this might be a good place to also dive into surgery. So, I mean, mm -hmm. I know this is also an area of your work where you're helping people both prepare for surgery and recover with exercise from surgery. So maybe you can speak to, you know, helping people decide who might be listening to this if they're a candidate for surgery, like what does that even look like? Right, right. So I think it's important to mention that regarding surgery that, you know, you, you may have heard some people say exercise will fix your diastasis. You'll also hear people say surgery is the only option for your diastasis. So we, again, are left with two completely opposing um, ways to address the problem. And I think that we run into a lot of issues with that. 
But ultimately, well, because ultimately you can have someone with a significant, um, significantly distended abdomen and loose and hanging and lots of loose extra skin. And, you know, they could go through a period of time where they're exercising and doing a lot of great core work. And, and so initially they may have been candidates for a surgery. They may have been thinking that's what I need. And at the end of an, a strengthening program, they're, they're very satisfied with the results and they no longer need it. And then you can also have someone maybe who's more moderate in their presentation um, and is hoping for more flattening. And so they go through a strengthening process and they don't see too much change. So they may not have initially been, you know, the ideal candidate at that point for surgery, but they have tried a conservative management as best as they can. And they realize I haven't made as much change as I want. So I'm going to go through surgery. So at the onset, we can never really tell someone you will need surgery, you are a candidate for surgery, or strengthening will be the answer for you. We actually don't know. So we have to be more um, clear in their messaging. But in general, what we can do is just kind of, I would say to anybody who's thinking about surgery or not, first, usually what we what we typically recommend is just tr a trial of conservative management. Before any kind of surgery, try conservative management. Again, what does that look like? Progressive strengthening, um, which means doing things that are challenging. You, you won't find a bodybuilder lifting um, a cell phone for weight. You, you will find them really challenging their body because they know that that's what's going to take to build muscle. So it's finding the load that's right for you and progressing and adding load over time when things get easy. And you want to do that for at least a year and a half to two years because that's really the amount of time it takes to, to see what strengthening can do. I love okay. that you said that. Like the timeline is so, because people kidding. are like, is your six-week program going to make it? I'm like, right. no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it has to be longer. It has to be longer. Some changes, like when we're talking about the changes that happen through an exercise program, a lot of people do see some in you know the first six weeks, maybe into three months. But a lot of those changes are actually more um, neural, neuro neurological. So it's like the brain building more connections to the muscles. It's not really structural, where the the muscles have become actually more in quantity quantity and bigger in cells it's it, that happens over time so in it past the three months and up to the two-year mark so it's not to say you're not going to see changes after six months or that you have to wait until two years before you see anything but you want you want to see how your body responds to a proper conservative strengthening program and then at the end of that, if you are happy with where you're at, then you can continue with what you're doing and potentially maintain or continue to and progress further. Or if you're not happy and you are not where you want to be, because it's not for anybody else to decide, but if you're not happy with where you are, then you can start the research into the surgical process. And so that means looking into different surgeons in your area, and um, consulting with a number of them and seeing what their opinions are and just going down that route. But usually conservative management is the first line of management. And that kind of goes for everything else in the body as well. It's really such an exploration of, you know, trying things and seeing if it's working and giving it so much time and patience. Are there instances where, the impact of 
you know, on on your day-to-day lifestyle. For example, like before this, I was mentioning a friend of mine who's literally like day-to-day life was impacted by this and chose to go a surgery route. She did wait a significant amount of time prior to that. But is there, you know, are there instances where that needs to be kind of progressed forward because it's impacting so much of their day-to-day or is it still like conservative management in the beginning, like just keep trying and pushing through that until. Yeah, I totally can see what you're saying. Um, I would say that conservative management isn't only about strengthening a holistic conservative management approach to diastasis is strengthening. And that's one piece of it. And it's all the lifestyle things that we were talking about as well. Um, but it also means, if necessary, working with a mental health professional to really work on, you know, how you're feeling about things and, and where you're at. It, they can help you decide, um, you know, help you make your decision, whether that means the the way for, for someone to be happy is to go through that route or working on the thoughts behind that. Maybe their thoughts of... Um, just body rejection and whatever may be behind that, the mental health professional can work on that with them. So it actually, that's usually one of my first uh, lines of, I guess, treatment or recommendations is let's do strengthening. But if, if I can sense that there's more behind it, I, I will always recommend them working with um, someone who can help them on that level. Makes sense. What about hernias? Because Lexi, you shared you have three. You've had three hernias in the past. So there's a genetic component to it. And I'm often presented with people, you know, asking questions saying, hey, like I have a hernia, you know, can I, do I have to have surgery or can I do your, you know, your rehab classes and fix my hernia? And I'll be honest, what I tell them is I say, you can't fix a hernia with exercise, but you can learn to manage pressure and you don't necessarily need to have surgery if you don't want to have surgery. It's just depending on how much it's impacting your life. But I'd love you to weigh in on that and maybe I need to shift what I'm saying. So you no, tell that's, per- that's perfect, actually. That, that's very much in line with what I would be saying as well. Okay. And um, when it comes to hernia, yeah, because that, that actually means that there is a hole within the fascia or the connective tissue rather than diastasis being the linea alba tissue has been widened and thinned out. So now within that tissue, there is an actual hole through which whether it's abdominal contents or fatty tissue can peek through and um, it may or may not be a problem. So when it comes to what to do about a hernia, it's the same thing for diastasis. We try conservative management first, meaning we learn all the same things that you would be learning for diastasis. It all will help in the management of the hernia. So having strong muscles, learning how to manage pressure so that things aren't pushing out too much on the hernia when you're doing exercises, learning how to engage the core um, and, you know, learning about bearing down versus, you know, other ways of, of engaging these are all things that will help diastasis, but also the hernia. So learning all of that can really and ultimately allow, give a, a great environment for the hernia to exist in. But it doesn't change the fact that the hernia is there. And so in order to actually correct the hernia, there, the surgery is the only other option. 
The surgery is not an, a walk in the park, even though it's such a tiny little area of the body. It is a very long recovery and process, but sometimes it is necessary. And for that reason, doctors won't recommend the surgery unless the hernia is affecting your quality of life. If you're having pain every time you lift or every time you cough or it's just getting uncomfortable or it's maybe widening and getting and becoming more pronounced. And of course, if there's irritation and redness, if there's anything medical going on, then they will operate for sure. Um, but if there's really no bother with the hernia, it's just there, you see it, maybe the bother is actually more well, I don't like the way it looks. That's also taken into consideration too. But if it's not affecting you too much one way or another, then the, the surgeons typically don't recommend surgery. They just kind of say, wait and monitor and, and watch it and just, you know, maybe, maybe come back if it makes, if, if things are worse. Lexi, where are your hernias? Now I want to know. My stomach. <laughs> I, so <laughs> I had three, three. Yeah. So I had, I ended up having three I had surgery um, back in university is when it was at its worst. And funny enough, I have no idea, but when I would be drinking was when it would, which alcohol. Know, in university, alcohol <laughs> was <laughs> frequent clear. enough. Um, when I was drinking, yeah, not water, alcohol, they would get so bad, like really painful. Wow. Um, and so eventually I went, while I was in university, I had them, uh, I had surgery and yes, it was, it's not a, it's not a walk in the park, especially when mine are right uh, in line with my belly button, like three above, like just basically uh -huh. like two inches apart up my belly button, uh, above my belly button. Sorry. Um, and so, yeah, the surgery is not pleasant and, and, and all of that recovery. Um, but when I was pregnant with Clark, I also had one that appeared. And when they did surgery for my three, they basically put like a stitching that they can remove ease, like fix easily because they said, you're going to have this again. Um, just how your abdomen's built. I don't know mm -hmm. <laughs> to use my terms, not yours. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so, yeah, with Clark, I did have it, but it's, it went away after I had him, um, and slowly was recovering and it hasn't bothered me since thankfully. So TBD on that. But do, is anyone else in your family have a hernia history? Cause it's genetic, right? To some extent. Yeah, and they don't. Oh, you're I'm special. The lucky one. Wow. Because <laughs> it could be okay. This is getting a little bit off topic, but I feel like it's. I like to talk about the fact that like a lot of babies are born with diastasis and and, oh, and hernias. Like Piper had a hernia above her belly button as well. Okay. And, yeah, and yeah, it's interesting. I'm the only one in my family. Um, and I don't know if it could be linked at all, but I haven't, like I had rheumatoid arthritis and autoimmune disease and have been in remission for many years now, but say a similar timeline. And I was taking like, obviously very hardcore anti-inflammatories and things like that. So again, we're getting into my whole health history, but <laughs> I, maybe those could be linked, but we don't have like it, it doesn't run in my family. However, Piper did, and it's now better, but she did have one till probably already a year ago. Didn't bother her. So that's good to know. Yeah. Yeah. You see these, sometimes you see pictures of babies with like a very significant diastasis because it's almost yeah. like it takes them a while. And the way that babies move, like even as they're rolling and starting to move and crawl, like they're actually kind of rehabbing it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, well, there exactly. she rehabbed. Well done, there girl. You go. 
<laughs> yeah, babies do have it, and it tends to naturally just resolve over time, which yeah. is is really fascinating. Yeah, That's so interesting. This is um, great. It's so good. Okay, so you talk about the fact, and there's one more question I think we have to really cover. There, I mean, there's so many, Manira, but you. One of the things I think that you probably encounter, I'm imagining, is that people are like, okay, well, I've decided for a variety of reasons that surgery is the right thing for me. You know, what's the point in exercising now if I'm just going to go have surgery? So can we, can we speak to oh, that? Oh, wow. That's a big question too. Um, <laughs> because, you know, now that I'm doing a lot more work in this space, um, I can just see the lack of information out there, just the black void you know we think diastasis is bad but like there's stuff around diastasis out there there's really nothing in post-op you know post-surgery from you know credible evidence sort of supported resources um so regarding the idea that i shouldn't exercise because i don't need to exercise because i'm getting a surgery well the first thing that I'd like to say is the results of the surgery are, we need to sort of check our expectations as well on what we think we're going to look like after we get the surgery, because it's not perfect. We will see for sure in the galleries of plastic surgeons offices, we'll see before and after pictures. Great. And some of them are going to look really nice. And every surgeon has their own sort of aesthetic look and how they do things. Um, and we do have to keep in mind that they can cherry pick which pictures they're going to put up there. Um, but the reality of what you can expect to look like afterwards, it, it isn't actually this sort of washboard as perfectly flat. Just, it looks like I haven't been pregnant. Definitely one will still have if they bend forward, depending on how much loose skin they had before, depending on how much of that they remove and how much was available during the surgery for them to even do that. If they bend forward, there will likely still be some wrinkles, some looseness there and in different positions, depending on the tone of the muscles underneath, you know, maybe they're lying on their side and they thought, okay, I'm going to have my surgery. I'm no longer going to have this bulge coming out, you know, when I'm on my side, but they are sort of shocked and surprised that when they lie on their side, it's still kind of, it's not flat. So this is where the tone of the muscles is actually really important to consider because some surgeons will, I would say, rightfully acknowledge that the um, status of those muscles underneath is what can help to maintain the results of the surgery afterwards. So in doing conservative management and strengthening beforehand, not only are you going to be able to see if, you know, how much I can achieve before surgery, but it will help you to maintain those results afterwards. And a lot of people will find that in not doing exercise, you know, depending on the severity, it depends on the person, depending on the severity of, you know, the, the tissue stretching that we're talking about. But the surgery oftentimes doesn't account for the stretching of the side, only the linea alba itself. And so they'll stitch that part back together, but the stretching was all around the abdomen. So we're talking about maybe a few centimeters of correction through the center. And so what they do is for the excess skin is they'll pull that down and it'll become quite tight. And that, that tight, that new tight 
skin on top is almost what holds in what was previously stretched out underneath on the sides. So if those muscles that were stretched out and are still stretched out after surgery are, you know, are still like that, then it, it can, it, you might see a relaxing of the abdomen after surgery if you're not doing enough to maintain the tone of the, of the muscles. So I would, I would definitely advocate for strengthening before and afterwards for, for many reasons, but especially the ones that I just mentioned. Yeah. I, I, we interviewed, um, oh gosh, um, Grind Donnelly about, mm-hmm. and I know you all know each other in this world of diastasis, but she gave us this notion of like, imagine a sausage where yeah. there's not a lot of, not, not enough sausage in the sausage casing <laughs> that yeah. stuck with me so much. I was like, oh, I don't want a droopy sausage as ab muscles. <laughs> yeah. Right? Like who right. wants that? So we have to plump up the sausage. We have to plump up the muscles underneath so that the surgery is more effective. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> That's amazing. Everyone's thinking about sausages. Yeah. Oh man. The most about this whole field around diastasis recti. Well, I think definitely, you know, seeing certain influencers and promoting programs that will guarantee to fix things within a six week period of time and, you know, showing before and after pictures of people who may not be representative of everybody that is going through the program. So that is definitely one thing that tends to bother me. Um, Another one is, and this is one that I know really we can't do much to change, you know, when it happens, but for sure in those who haven't necessarily taken some time to understand where we're at now with diastasis and being very dogmatic about how they currently see it um and so sort of pushing that and kind of stamping that on top of what is what we're trying to do is change the narrative so it there's resistance sometimes and that can be very frustrating because people will reach out for sure and the and the, we had an incident just you know even in the past week where someone was very resistant to the idea of doing high level sort of crossfit level exercises for anyone that had diastasis like these are not appropriate no one with diastasis should ever do this um and so and this is coming from like a health professional yes yes um who works with people who you know who who are postpartum who have diastasis um and so it, I ha- we had to just explain it. I had to explain that, A, I understand where you're coming from because I used to feel like that too. I definitely was thinking beforehand that a lot of exercises that I'm kind of recommending now for people when they're appropriate for them, I would actually shy away from them, be afraid of them, have a knee-jerk reaction exactly the way this person is. So I come with a little bit of compassion and understanding towards them. But when it happens, there is automatically sort of a wall that gets built up on both sides. And so it's it's actually teaching me just the just how to be aware of these things and how to be productive in when when these things happen because we really can't make change if we're butting heads, but if we can soften the grounds a little bit, it's much easier to potentially educate and inform and kind of maybe lead the way a little bit, but 
um, yeah, that, that can definitely be a process. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And everyone who is listening to this, you must definitely check out Manura's Instagram. You spend so much time and effort to, to explain concepts and like your graphics and your charts and like it just, you know, it, it, it's such a, you clearly, it's a labor of love and we all appreciate it. So thank oh, you. Thank you. Thank you definitely. so much. So great meeting you and thanks for coming on today. Oh, thank you for having me. Great meeting you as well. And everyone can find those links for um, Manira's Instagram and, and, uh, Facebook, everything, uh, in the show notes. So check it out. All right. Thanks, Manira. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at we go there podcast and check out we go there podcast.com for more info.